Oh, it is recording. I see the little figure. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. I will do my little spiel and then I'll introduce you. Nice. Okay, here I go. Hello, this is Sue from the Selves and Mind and Research Centre at the University of Edinburgh. And um, we're recording another podcast during the COVID-19 lockdown. We wanted to do something for practitioners and parents and university students who are all stuck at home, but who still want a chance to kind of develop their knowledge even during the lockdown. Um, and we also felt that because lots of folk are homeschooling at the moment and our usual family routines have been disrupted, it seems like developmental psychology is a really interesting topic for people right now. And I'm a developmental psychologist and I know lots of other developmental psychologists. So I'm calling some of them um, people who are studying learning and development in children and young people to find out about some of their research they've been doing. And today's psychological is with my dear friend and colleague, Katie Sabula from the University of Edinburgh. And she's gonna to talk to me about some work she's been doing, uh, looking at sibling relationships in children with Williams syndrome. Is that right, Katie? That's absolutely right. Nice to see you, Sue. Nice to see you too. Thank you for joining me. Um, so tell me, what did you discover when you were doing this bit of research? So I guess some of the main findings from this were firstly, very broadly, that emotional and behavioral um, adjustment and anxiety in siblings of children with Williams syndrome is actually really similar to children in the rest of the population uh, on average, right? It's really, it's really not that different, although we see individual differences across siblings. Secondly, um, we looked at what siblings themselves said compared to what their parents thought. And we found that although there were some similarities, siblings report things being a little bit more tough, a little bit more conflict in their sibling relationships, for example, than the parents maybe thought uh, was going on. And thirdly, I think a really kind of wonderful thing we found was that siblings reported feeling really high levels of support from uh, their parents, from their friends, and from their teachers. That's so nice. Um, I love a study that has a good news story in it. Um, yeah, me too. So what led you down the road of, of studying this question of exploring these um, experiences of siblings? So I guess I've, I've really been interested in sibling relationships for, for a long time, um, as you know. I think it's, it's important when we look at siblings of children with developmental disabilities not to really sort of pathologize the relationship, right? It's, you know, it's just siblings with all the kind of, like the joy and the arguments and the, you know, and the love and the angst that, that siblings kind of have. At the same time, we know that if you're growing up with a child with developmental disabilities in the families, that that can bring some, like some unique experiences, some important experiences, um, some of which might be really positive and some which might be kind of challenging. So I've always been, I think for a long time, in this research field, really kind of motivated to find ways to help our parents um, and carers to support those sibling relationships to to help siblings find ways to to play and to to be together and um, knowing knowing how positive and how important sibling relationships can be uh you know throughout throughout your life mm -hmm. so we kind of started from that and williams syndrome in particular seemed to be 
really interesting. It's a really rare genetic syndrome. It's uh, one in around one in 20,000 um, individuals have Williams syndrome. Um, it's associated, um, as you know, with intellectual disabilities, but also um, a really quite characteristic kind of um, phenotype or profile. So we know that uh, lots of people with Williams syndrome have a very strong kind of social um, interest and sociability, but also sometimes quite high levels of anxiety. And we were then really interested in what that meant for sibling uh, relationships, what it meant to be growing up um, in a family with a child with Williams syndrome. And no one had really looked at that um, before. So that's kind of where we started from. And so how did you go about doing the study? How did you collect the information you were interested in? So it was in some ways fairly straightforward. It was a, a questionnaire study uh, across the UK, America, Australia, Canada, um, because Williams syndrome is really rare. It's, it's difficult, you know, it's challenging to find mm. participants, but then to find participants um, in families where there were siblings, you know, uh, made things even a bit more of a challenge and we were really fortunate we had really good support from the Williams Syndrome Foundation um, in the UK and various Williams Syndrome groups um, in other countries so basically we carried it out by doing a questionnaire study and we had lots of lots of questionnaires we're really grateful to the families because you know we, we asked quite a lot in terms of filling in um, lots of paperwork but we asked about the child with Williams syndrome, so um, kind of social functioning and anxiety. We asked parents about the siblings, so emotional and behavioral adjustments, levels of anxiety. We asked about the sibling, like the quality of the sibling relationship. Um, and what was really important um, in this study was that we asked, um, we asked uh, for the siblings themselves if they would fill in questionnaires as well as asking their their parents so we had we had both views and importantly we heard from the the siblings themselves and so with that kind of study which um which i've also done you know those kind of huge wadges of questionnaires going out in the post or online to families one of the issues i found with analysis is just the sheer volume of of information you get back um, even though it's very well planned and you've been very careful about what you're asking, there's so many different ways you can combine that information to answer different questions. So how did you find when you were doing the analysis, how easy was it to decide what to analyse and how to put that information together? I think, I mean, there were challenges. We went, we went old school with paper questionnaires um, in part in part because we were keen that it was accessible to families who, you know, maybe weren't um, online um, quite so frequently. So um, we had all that um, data entry to do. The, the analysis was, it was fairly straightforward and we were sort of guided by some clear questions in terms of um, what we were looking at and so on. I think one of the challenges though was that we had in the analysis, we had these two kind of overlapping data sets. So we had data from um, over 40 caregivers. I say over 40, it was 41 um, <laughs> caregivers. Um, and sometimes we use that full data set, right? And yeah. then for other parts of the analysis, we wanted just to look at the subset of those families. So um, more like 30 families where the siblings had also 
themselves contributed um, data and filled in questionnaires. So sometimes we only wanted to look at the families where we had both sets of data, the sibling and the parents, so we could make a direct comparison between the two. And I think one of the challenges, not so much for the analysis, but for the write-up was communicating really clearly about when we were kind of switching between these very, you know, these similar overlapping, but um, sort of distinct um, data sets. So it was, it was clear to the reader. Um, and there we had, we had really good support from the, the reviewers of the paper. And also I think a little bit of, it took a little bit of theory of mind in a way, you know, you have to put yourself in the, in the shoes of the reader and think, right, okay, I, you know, I've been doing this for months, this makes sense to me, but what's it gonna feel like being a reader kind of come into this um, like new, you know, and fresh. So, so going back then to what you found, um, uh, you found that um, siblings were feeling pretty well supported, um, though at the same time maybe had a slightly more negative appraisal of their the challenges they faced than perhaps their parents did their parents were a little bit more positive about the difficulties that they were um or about about their development you know their kind of adjustment and coping and so on um what do you think we can so correct me first of all if i'm wrong in that summary <laughs> um but also what do you think we can learn from this you know what does that mean for people with williams syndrome growing up for their parents for their brothers and sisters and so on i think i guess to me one of the main messages from it is is really just the importance of listening to the siblings themselves right you know being able to listen to them about their view of sibling relationships whether it be the parents who are doing that or support organizations um, and so on mindful that you know even if things aren't aren't really bad and really tough um they still might be a little bit different from how other people perceive things um to be and that's it's not saying that that one view is correct and one view is is incorrect here um, you know, we're not saying this, the siblings are correct and, you know, the parents have um, misjudged the situation. Just that there might be slightly different perspectives on it for, for all kinds of different reasons. And that's not something that is unique to families with a child with developmental disabilities, right? Always, you know, it's very common in families that, you know, parents take on things as a little bit different from how the children would see it. So just... I guess showing that it's important to to listen to all those different um, perspectives. Um, I guess another another thing we found that I, I kind of feel had um, you know was important in terms of the implications was that we also you know we did a little bit of uh, regression analysis and found that conflict in the sibling relationship was uh, associated with emotional and behavioural difficulties or you know adjustment difficulties in the sibling um, and obviously that you know we don't know the direction of causation but obviously it makes sense to to seek for ways that we can reduce conflict um in sibling relationship obviously a little bit of conflict's not always a a bad thing and it can be useful way for children to learn how to to manage social situations but you know we need to look and speak to families and understand if there's times we need to try and support and uh, reduce kind of levels of conflict um, and i think that combined with the finding that um 
sort of more positive adjustment in siblings was associated with them feeling like they were well supported and had high levels of support. All those kind of things feed into this idea that we need to look for the best ways to support families, look for the best ways to create that support that came from, you know, sometimes it came from schools, sometimes it came from parents, from friends and so on. Um, and I think, I guess, looking to organisations like Sibs UK, like the Salvinson Mind Room Centre, um, and look at how they're, they're helping families to, to support those um, sibling relationships and looking to help schools to support those sibling relationships. And I guess, you know, helping siblings to find ways to, to be together and play together and so on. And are there, I mean, obviously right now, as we're recording this during the lockdown, it's harder than ever to to support brothers and sisters who are living together and you know occupying quite a small space and competing for their parents attention with perhaps you know their parents also working and so on i mean it's it's a tough time for sibling relationships so have you got any insights into sort of simple things that parents can do that are supportive is it enough to reassure people that it's okay to get annoyed with your brother and sister for example is that a useful thing to do or you know are there more concrete things yeah ab absolutely and I think I, I think I think there's a range of different things I think looking to for example Sibs UK have fantastic resources and they have resources for parents and they have resources for young people themselves so so looking for what's out there but also in the in the day-to-day -day, yes knowing that you know there'll be there'll be times of difficulty there'll be times when siblings need you know as far as you can within your house need a bit of space a bit of time um away, away from each other or time you know just on their own with a, a parent or carer um you know to get a little bit of that um one-to-one -one time but i think for parents too not you know there's a there's a lot going on just now and it's I mean, at the best of times, it's impossible to be a perfect parent, you know? Um, and so just to think, giving yourself a little bit of a, an easy time too. I'm really, I guess over the years, one, one thing I've kind of come back to a lot is, um, you know, family systems theory, which uh, you and I have discussed before, but just this idea that your family's not made up of individuals you know, it's, 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 it's this system where if you're affected by something, you know, that, that kind of impacts how you interact with other members of the family that then has a knock-on effect um, to them and you get these sort of ripple effects through the family. And so just, yeah, giving, giving yourself a, a break and, and knowing that, you know, families are going to interact and impact on each other in in positive ways um as well it's it's nice you know within our family it's nice sometimes you see a bit of humor that sparks in two people in the family and it's you know it sort of spreads and it ripples a little bit um which isn't always easy to to do but you know nice when it yeah my favorite example of that i always quote this to to friends of mine maybe when they've had their first child for example is um you know when you go on a plane and they and they're talking about the the oxygen mask may drop from the ceiling and they're like put on yours before <laughs> the child and i always think 
this is a great lesson for parents, right? Like you can't look after your children if you don't also first look after yourself and it's okay to sort of take care of your needs as a parent in order to then have the energy and love that you need to give to your children, right? Yeah, absolutely. And if this, in this case, it's a tub of ice cream rather than o- an oxygen mask, sure. so be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, I think too, I mean, kind of more seriously, coming back to, to, you know, this issue of support and okay, you know, sometimes there'll be um, fallouts between siblings and so on, but also, you know, and that, that's, you know, all, it's all common, but sometimes to knowing when you need to reach out for support from, you know, from an organization or, or from elsewhere, when you need to ask for help and albeit just now that help, you know, and it's tough for families just now because that help can't at the moment often be grandparents coming around or, you know, or respite care um, or whatever that might be. But, but you know, seeking support from others in a sort of online um, way too I think when you need it can be really helpful hmm. um, so just um, one or two more questions before we wrap up what what would you like to do next kind of building on this research what's your so many things <laughs> <laughs> so many things I guess overall I was with this paper like I love I love this paper I loved writing this paper um, but a little bit of frustration I had with it was that we had lovely qualitative data from the siblings about their experience of uh, growing up uh, with a Sibyl Williams syndrome. Um, and it really, it was something that really informed our kind of thinking and our, our plans. We had to take it out because the paper was too long. Um, mm-hmm. And you know me, how I love my detail in papers. Um, I do, I do. So, so that hurt. Um, so I had to take it out. But I think we really we took that and um, felt it was really important to to hear um, you know more at length from siblings themselves, but also to explore the views of the children with Williams syndrome um, about their sibling relationships. Right, so uh, we've gone on from that to undertake interviews with uh, children with Williams syndrome themselves um, and their siblings about their experience of the relationships, um, and we're working with that data just now. Uh, we've also filmed siblings uh, playing together at home to try and understand more about how siblings uh, interact and support each other uh, during play. Again, you know, with this aim of kind of supporting families to support those sibling relationships. Um, and I, I guess one thing to point out is I'm saying we've done this. Um, I should be clear that the amazing Amanda Galuli. Um, did fantastic work. Uh, she travelled across the UK. She was on cars, taxis, planes uh, to collect all this data from uh, across the whole of the UK. So, um, so I say we, but actually, um, mm-hmm. Am- Amanda did um, huge, huge amounts uh, in terms of working with families on this. So that is a perfect segue. Shout out to Amanda for my last question because I wanted to sort of think about early career researchers and students who might be listening who are in a stressful position, um, you know, all sorts of uncertainty about degree courses and about um, future study and about um, lots of work having been derailed as well. Um, So 
I wondered if you had any words of wisdom for, for our um, colleagues who are kind of maybe um, a little uh, nearer the start of their careers than you and I are now. <laughs> I guess, I mean, words of wisdom might be, might be pushing it a bit, but um, I guess, I mean, I guess for me, you know, I've been, I've been, uh, I've worked part-time for more than a decade now. And I think in some ways that's been, that's been really helpful in terms of just, you know, I, I know that it is not productive for me to compare myself to other people, right? Because, you know, by definition, I, you know, I don't work as many hours in the week, you know? And so I think I've really, in a way, particularly coming into the situation we're in at the moment, it's, it's really helpful just this, you know, don't compare yourself to other people. Mm. Just, you know, follow your own path and find a good mentor I've been I mean I've been so lucky throughout my um throughout my career in terms of the the mentors I've um I've had um and that's been incredibly supportive and I guess I mean particularly in relation to maybe people working within uh intellectual disability or developmental disability research too is is I think that the importance of I guess doing doing research that you believe will make a difference, even if it's even if that research takes time to do. So I guess you know, particularly in um, this kind of project that we're uh, been working in, you know, um, recruitment to studies takes takes time. You know, we're we're working with um, you know children with Williams syndrome, which is a a, a rare syndrome. Um, so recruitment takes time. Um, when we're doing the observation work, video analysis work is is slow. It's it's very time consuming, um, but you know we we do it because we're interested in it and we think it's important. And we, you know, when we speak to families about it, you know, it's that's the kind of thing families are asking about is about supporting sibling relationships. Um, so I guess that would be my. Does that count as words of wisdom? Hundred percent. No, okay. Colossal amounts of wisdom, and the you know the way you were stroking your long white beard <laughs> really enhanced it for me. I see. We've Sorry, been in lockdown for a little while, but I'm not sure it's been quite that long. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to thank you very much for your time, and um, let anyone listening know that they will be able to find out more about your work and specifically get a link to the paper on the podcast page which will be ed.ac.uk slash salverson-research. It's a nice catchy URL that's easy to remember. <laughs> we don't have to get ourselves a quick link. Um, but for now, thank you very much, Katie. Thank you, um, Sue. Pleasure talking to you. Of, enjoy the rest of lockdown. <laughs> Likewise. Okay, we did it. I thought that went quite smoothly. Thank you.